a coping mechanism. You know, it was first time away from home, first time away from grandma's covering, and I didn't process life right. I didn't have any uh, personal convictions or disciplines about me. And so when some people can be a casual drinker, whenever I drank, I ended up drunk, you know, staggering drunk. Everything in my life became drugs, weed, and I wasn't doing hard drugs, but weed, alcohol, partying, and that became my life. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, Use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. Merry Christmas and welcome back to Testimony Tuesday on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you are here as one of our listeners. We're grateful to have you. We hope that you're enjoying the run-up to the big Christmas holiday the end of this week. And uh, I know we're excited uh, here in the Dragoon House and at the Virginia Beach Church. We're grateful for uh, having a Savior. And uh, man, we have a great opportunity today. I'm excited to hear the testimony of one Pastor John Long who's with us today. Welcome to the podcast. Well, I appreciate you guys having me, Adam. It's a privilege to be here, and so uh, I'm looking forward to it, bro. Awesome, awesome. So um, uh, we, we've known each other for some time, and uh, uh, just by by virtue of proximity, we're we're not too far apart, so we get to see each other a few times a year, hopefully, uh, at events Absolutely. and stuff. So it's been a pleasure to to watch you uh, first as a as a part of the church there in Raleigh. And then, uh, and then being able to pioneer and then take over the, the mother church that you were saved in. And uh, so it's been pretty cool um, just to get to know you a little bit more. And I'm excited to hear all of the gritty details <laughs> of how God saved you. So for those who may not know you or haven't met you before, why don't you just give us a, a brief overview of, uh, of how long you've been pastoring and, and where you're at. Uh, well, my name is John Long. Uh, my wife, Naima, and I are three kids, Nia, Noel, and Joshua. Uh, we pastor in Raleigh, North Carolina, Victory Chapel here. Uh, like you said, it's the church I got saved in some 20 years ago. And um, it has uh, been a wonderful ride. Um, I've been pastoring for roughly since 2012 is when we got announced out of the Chandler Conference 2012. And I've been back in Raleigh uh, for about the last nine years. Um, before that, I was in Durham, where Naeem and I uh, pioneered a church there. And circumstances uh, brought us back to the mother church, as you said, here in Raleigh. And so I uh, love the ministry. I uh, love the city of Raleigh. Um, I'm home. Um, this always feels like home to me now. I've been down in North Carolina since um, 1997 is when I landed in Raleigh. 
And that's a whole nother story, man, we could get into. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, the church is doing well. We're in a new building project. And so, uh, like you said earlier, uh, everything is geared towards the holidays right now. And so just enjoying the season and really enjoying uh, my family. Um, this, this year has been a little bit different for me for a myriad of reasons, some of which you know uh, how I was affected personally. Um, but uh, yeah, man, this is it's going to be a good Christmas and I'm looking forward to it. Amen. Amen. Well, yeah, we're, we're going to hear some of that uh, about uh, the amazing things that have happened to you and uh, how you process them. But before we uh, talk about this year, let's let's talk about your origin story. Where did you grow up and uh, and what, what was your childhood like? Uh, I grew up in a place most people can't find on a map, and um, I grew up in a, a town called Richmond, Indiana, which is about an hour east of Indianapolis and right on the border of Indiana and Ohio. Okay. And uh, uh, I grew up most of my life I spent in Richmond. So one high school town, you know what I mean? Not a city. What's the population? Uh, now probably probably sixty thousand, but at okay, the time okay. of my upbringing, more like forty. Um, okay, yep. And so it's grown a good bit. Um, but yeah, that was that was home. And uh, uh, growing up in Richmond was um, was an experience for me. I grew up very uh, very poor. I didn't know it at the time of my younger years. Later on in life, I realized. Uh, how many miracles my grandmother, who raised me, um, mm. uh, made happen. Um, my mother and my father, um, they had me when they were in high school. Wow. And, okay. and so um, my mom wanted to uh, uh, go into the Navy. And at the time, then you couldn't take children. You right. couldn't have a dependent and go through boot camp. And so uh, she signed me legally over to my grandmother. And so my grandmother uh, became my legal guardian. Mm -hmm. And so uh, growing up in Richmond, you know, normal upbringing, not nothing crazy. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a horrible kid, but I wasn't a good kid either. I've gotten a lot of, I gotten had my bouts with trouble and um, life really turned for me. It's very interesting because I was a very good athlete growing up. And um, my junior year of high school, this is important for people to understand, I was getting offers to run track and play football mm -hmm. from some pretty large schools. And uh, I got hurt and I tore one of my hamstrings, not pulled mm -hmm. it, I, I tore it. And, uh, you know, I healed, but I never healed right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, in high school, you don't have world-class training facilities and everything. And so all those offers dried up mm -hmm, mm -hmm. overnight. And so I got a little offer to go play football for a little D3 school in my hometown, oh, which wow. is, yeah, like going from big schools to, well, you can come here, we can help you with financial aid, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I was never the same. Mm -hmm. And I was angry. Mm -hmm. I, I grew, I got very angry at that time of my life because athletics was going to be my, my ticket out. Yeah. And uh, so, so was that something, was that something that was, uh, that, that came from you or was that something that other people were putting on you also? 
uh, the athletics. No, yeah. it was it was my release. I yeah. uh, I didn't have I wasn't uh, uh, I didn't have nice clothes growing up. I didn't have a lot of money growing up. Uh, you know, I, I I wasn't popular because of you know the shoes I wore or being in the in crowd. What 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 made me fit in in life was was sports. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I could run. I could play ball. And so people gravitated to me and it was my, my door okay. uh, all through high school. And yeah. I thought it was going to be my door later in life. And into, so into your future. And so yes. obviously there's, there's like a, a whole sense of disappointment that comes when we realize it's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, for me growing through high school, I was that guy. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. You know, I was, I was, this was, I took it very serious until mm-hmm. I got hurt. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I got to college um, and you stopped me, if you. Well, I do have one one question about your early years. And that is uh, regarding your your parents. So your your mom goes off to the Navy, leaves you with grandma. Is dad anywhere in the picture? Because both of them are so young and this really um, and I could spend a whole nother hour talking about some of these processes, but it's important. Um, They were young. Yeah. They were 18, mm-hmm. 18, 19. They were kids. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I wish I could say that they might have done some things different, but, you know, they didn't. You know what I mean? And so I knew my father. We had a, a relationship. It wasn't a close relationship. He lived in a, another city, another state. And so mm-hmm. he wasn't in the vicinity of where I grew up. And so growing up, it was me and grandma. Yeah. You know, my mom was young. She's in Hawaii in yeah. the Navy. And so you can imagine, young, oh, yeah. it, it, you know, and so. Uh, Did you ever feel any of that, like uh, abandonment issues? Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, you know, I was, I, I struggled with, I had abandonment issues. I it struggled with uh, male authority, especially, you know what I mean? I could handle women talking to me, but man, I, no, I, it Funny how I wouldn't let any man speak into my life. I shut you down. I ain't mm-hmm. trying to hear it, um, you know. And so, yeah, I was angry and and kind of bitter, you know, especially playing sports, seeing my friends, parents in the stands and mine never there. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, my first memory of my mother was um, I was 13 13, maybe 13 years old, 12, 13 years old. Uh, she had finally moved back to the States from This is your uh, first memory of her? My first memory of her. At Not 13 her years old. Me, but my first memory without looking at pictures of yeah. my mother when I was 13 years old. And so, you know, I didn't call my grandmother, grandma, I called her mom. Right. She was mom. She 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 yeah. raised eight before me and then she had room for one more. Mm. You know mm. what I mean? She was she was my mother. So so your uncles and your aunts are more like brothers and sisters. Yes and no. They are okay. the, the age difference yeah. is uh, pretty severe. OK. You know what I mean? And so um, by the time I was growing up, you know, they're uh, they're all out. Yeah, they're they're moving out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so they were still uncle and auntie to me mm-hmm. but it was me and grandma growing up it right. was me and her and mm-hmm. so uh and that was my work you know did you, what I mean? did you have any other uh like male role models was grandpa around too 
No, my grandfather had passed away by then. Mm -hmm. And um, I had an uncle, Billy, who helped my grandmother a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my teenage years, uh, there was a young, there was a gentleman, his name was Jake Mabry. He's a friend of my friend, one of my father and my friend who kind of became a real, a role model to me. But really and truly, it's very unique for me when I think back that I was very shy. Mm -hmm. I was an introvert. Um, I was not someone who would put myself out there. Um, And I stayed, I was, I was, I was, I was a grandma's boy. Mm. I'd stay close to grandma. Yeah. Um, I'm sure she was happy about that. Well, yeah, you know, (laughs) but my grandma was not a soft person. Okay. Yep. You know what I'm saying? She raised eight kids by herself. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And uh, she came from the South. She grew up in Alabama during the civil rights period. And, and even before so that, she could she hold her own. People. Yeah, she was oh, yeah. she was not a softy. You know what I mean? She right. was hard. Yeah. And um, but that was just she was my security blanket. Yeah. And um, I didn't really venture out much from that until uh, actually until I got to college. OK. And I finally got out of home and I moved away from home for the first time and um got on my own you yeah know? so um so talk about if uh is there any history of uh spiritual memories in your home what was the what was the spiritual life like you know it's funny uh i'll i'll, I'll give you this most of my lineage very rarely did we marry so there was a curse of illegitimacy mm-hmm. upon my family And that's not me speaking disparagingly or bad towards my family. It's just the reality Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, uh, we raise kids in broken homes. Mm. You know, you know what I'm saying? And um, I can remember growing up, but that was like normal. It was weird because that was the experience for most of my friends. Right. You, You know what I mean? And so it wasn't, until later on in life that I looked back on that and said, man, that's, that's crazy how that was normal. Yeah. And uh, it it is normal. It's be, it's becoming the the majority of homes today. I just heard a statistic that was crazy that only 18% of us households are now nuclear families with mom, dad, and children intact. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I shared this with my kids, you know, um, my wife and I, we, she grew up in a divorce from a, in a divorced home. I grew up in a, a single parent home. Mm-hmm. And so I tell my kids, I say, you guys don't know what it is to uh, you'll never experience. And gratefully what it was like to be uh, abandoned. Right. You know, you guys have grown up all your lives and f- your first memory is seeing mom and dad in the house together. Uh, you, you see mom and dad uh, uh, sharing a home together, mm-hmm. building a family together. And Working this out is problems. Normal. Yeah. This Conflict is resolution. Even, forgiving even one another. Yeah. yeah. Even the awkwardness of walking into the kitchen and seeing mom and dad hug. You know, right. I have no memory of that. Right. I have no experience of that. You know what I mean? Uh I don't have a memory of my parents being together in the same room until later on in life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and these are things that, you know, most people take for granted. You know, uh, no one taught me how to tie a tie. Mm-hmm. 
Right. You, you know right. what you know what I'm saying? And I'm 20 years old and I'm learning some of these just what I think are just normal lessons of life. And that comes from my my background, my upbringing, you know what I mean? And so it's uh, something that was, it's sad to say then was normal, but when I look back on it, it was so abnormal. Right. You know what I so, mean? So how does that play into the history of, uh, of spiritual life? Did, was your grandmother, did she talk about the Bible, well, talk about Jesus, anything like that? It's crazy because I, um, <laughs> I, uh, my grandmother sent me on the Sunday school bus every Sunday. Okay. I went to church. You know, I grew up in a very, uh, uh, I would say spiritual, but not saved. Right. Okay. Around the things of God. But you had but, exposure. Yeah. And uh, I knew the stories growing up. And if you'd asked me, even up to the time I made a decision for Christ, if I was a Christian, I would have told you, well, yeah, I've been baptized. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm a good Baptist boy. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, like most people, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I, Jesus was not my savior. He was more of a spare tire sure. that I pulled out in times of trouble. You right. know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and so, but my grandmother, uh, she, she felt like those are very important things. And as I got older, I realized she was giving me what she was given to her. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this was how Christianity uh, was, uh, this was normal in her, her way of life. And so she gave me the best she could. Was she, you know what w- I mean? Was she, she, did she have a genuine relationship with Christ? Uh No. She had a she was she had a relationship with religion. Okay, and I feel horrible saying that, like I'm speaking ill of her, but I'm not. Um, you know, one of the joys I have is watching my grandmother get saved later in life before she wow. passed away. That's got to be a saying? great story. Yeah, and how, and how so, did that happen? Before we move forward, that that sounds amazing. Uh, she uh, she came to visit me and her daughter Norma, and Norma's the aunt that helped me find my way to Christ. Okay. That's, that was my entrance. And, you know, I'm, you know, by then I'm active in the church. I'm pursuing a call. I'm a faithful disciple in the church and, you know, uh, being able to communicate biblical principles, not just like on a one-on-one witness, but with some understanding of life and my grandmother's history and her past and uh, being able to minister to not just me, but my aunt, my family were able to minister her areas of forgiveness and letting some things go and, uh, you know, and watching kind of, you know, her desiring those things and watching God, you know, uh, begin to plant seeds in her heart. And, you know, if cancer wouldn't have taken her, I believe, amen, God would have been able to unpack a lot of history from Mm. her life. You know what I mean? But I know, amen, my grandmother, when she went into eternity, she was right with God. And Praise so, God. yeah. And, and so um, I owe all that to my aunt. Yeah. You know, Norma was such a blessing to me. And so, uh, but yeah, so we watched my grandmother get saved later in life. Um, That's incredible. Passed away. So, wow. What, a, what an amazing story. So just people's journey in life, you, it's, it's, um, you, you know, it's just um, to me, it's it's beautiful to see the way that God weaves his word and his message 
into different people in different ways. And um, so I'm, I'm curious what's, what's next on your journey as you're leaving from a small town, you're going off to college. Uh, was that a significant thing for you to? It was to, huge. It was huge. It was huge. And it was actually the catalyst that brought me to a place where I was open to the gospel. Okay. Um, I was your typical rock bottom convert before I got saved. Um, and I had to hit rock bottom. Okay. Uh, well, how did you before- get there? college and so I went to school I probably the biggest mistake I made if I say a mistake was I went to college in my hometown Mm. and so I had a lot of my old relationships Uh. a lot of friends uh that didn't go to school that still had an influence in my life and at the time now I realized I was never going to be the athlete that I hoped to be right and so I turned to other things I turned to drugs I turned to alcohol I only played football one year and we weren't very good. And mm-hmm. so I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. You know what I mean? It's uh, okay. I'm so not f- that good anymore. So for the football nerds, even though it wasn't a big part of your career, uh, what, what was your, what was your position and what did you I do? I was a running, I was a running back and cornerback in high school. When okay. I went to college, I decided to just stick with a uh, DB. I was a cornerback. Okay. I played okay. defense. And so um, there was a couple of upperclassmen ahead of me on the death chart. So I played one year, a lot of special teams. I didn't mm. get on the field a whole lot. And I was like, man, I'd rather be out partying. Hey, and... that's that sounds like my junior high football career. <laughs> and so uh, I, I turned to what was once social became. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one. On the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four. Our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. How can I say uh, a coping mechanism? You know, and the first time away from home, first time away from grandma's covering, and I didn't process life right. I didn't have any uh, uh, personal convictions or disciplines about me. Mm. And so when some people can be a casual drinker, whenever I drank, I ended up drunk. Mm. 
Mm. You know, staggering drunk. And so obviously I made it through my first year, but my second year, uh, Adam, that second year, I hit rock bottom. I wasn't going to class and I knew where I was. I wasn't going to be able to continue. That mm-hmm. the Mr. Long, I, we don't know if college is for college isn't for everybody, <laughs> you know, and I knew I was going to have to leave. Um, and everything in my life became drugs, weed, and I wasn't doing hard drugs, but weed, alcohol, um, partying, Mm. and that became my life. And were you still staying at home for all this? I was on campus. Okay. And so I was on campus and, you know, I would go home and see my grandmother from time to time. But whenever I went home to grandma, I try to act like I had my act together and I just did. Mm-hmm. and uh, it was uh it was a mess did she know and, uh she knew after okay after i ended up in raleigh um that's when she found out she had no clue where i was you were hiding from her everything you know what i mean uh the whole purpose when i had to leave campus and i had to leave college uh i was looking for a place to go and uh, let me explain to people right here how uh I had a girlfriend at the time, girlfriend, I had a a female acquaintance, I'll say, who lived in San Francisco, California. When she found out I had to leave, she wanted me to fly out and she was going to, she wanted me to stay with her and re-enroll and just start over out there. Norma, my aunt, um, offered to buy me a bus ticket to Raleigh, North Carolina. Is that where she lived? Mm-hmm. Okay. I had an offer for a bus ticket and an offer for a plane ticket. Um, to this day, I baffle off of that one decision because my whole life hinged on it. Wow. And my whole life hinged on getting on that bus where I am now. Yeah. And I don't know if I would be here now if I had not got on that bus. And people ask, why did you get on that bus? And I know this may sound sensational to some people, but I am convinced it was because people were praying for me. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And the, so the first service, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit. My first service in the church in Raleigh, um, my name is on the prayer list. I hear my name, you know, we want to pray for Jeff. And it's like, it's kind of, it was almost like an awkward thing because... Yeah. They were praying for me like I wasn't there, but I was there <laughs> as if this was customary to hear my name on that prayer list, you know, because uh, it was, I want to pray for my nep- nephew, John Long. And oh, I'm wow. like, but but I'm here, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just kind of like it was customary for my name to be on the prayer list. And so I'm wondering, and only eternity will know how long people were praying for me before I came to a place where I received salvation. And so what got me on that bus, I believe was with all my heart was, was those people's prayer. Um, and so I left college. Okay. I left with the intent of drying out and I'm gonna get myself together. Then I'll go back. And um, so even though you, you were, you were in a bad place, but you knew you were in a bad place and things had no, to change. I was, I was in, I was in, I was the biggest self denial person there ever was. I just thought <laughs> I needed, you know, I just needed to get, you know, I just needed a moment to get myself together. 
Okay. And so I didn't even tell Norma, my aunt, how bad things were for me. Because in my mind, I'm just going to come hang out with her for a little while and I'll re-enroll the next semester and I'll be back, back, back in Indiana that, that for the winter semester. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never went back. And so when my aunt picked me up from the Greyhound bus station, mind you, the last time she saw me, I'm this young man who's loving sports and has a bright future ahead of him. She picks me up. All I have on my back is the clothes um, that some young lady had bought me at the time. I had no driver's license, no job skills. I had nothing. And she picked me up from the bus stop. She didn't say hello. She didn't say, I love you. It's good to see you. She was baffled. And she said, what happened? What happened to you? And in my mind, I'm like, Auntie, quit tripping, you know. <laughs> you know, you know and, and, you know, I'm smoking cigarettes now. And these are all things, you know, unheard of growing up, you know what I mean? And, right. you know, and it, it tripped me out because it's like she had to protect her kids from me. And so she laid down some ground rules. You know, I had a cousin. What, and I'm just curious, what, what was what was your the nature of your relationship with her? Up until this point, she was almost like a, another mother to me. Okay, so you, you were, were I mean? pretty close. Yeah, we were close, really close. She was, I was closer to her than I was with my own mom. You know what I mean? Off and on, I'd seen her more than I had seen my own mother. Um, you know, my grandmother, you know, and so family being what it was. And so um, I'd been around her at different points in time in my life before. And so it wasn't foreign for me to be around her or stay with her. There was a time where me and my grandmother stayed with her. Mm-hmm. And so um, this was normal, you know, right. you know what I mean? And so it wasn't like starting over with somebody. I was very familiar with my aunt. Okay. And, so and she, she was, was familiar with, with you. Me. Yeah. Yeah. And so she could be very candid and uh, matter of fact. And she was. She's, hey, yeah. I don't want you listening to your music around my kids. Yeah. Put headphones on. Um, you're not going to smoke in my house. And the craziest rule she gave me is you can stay as long as you want, John. But when I go to church, you go to church. Oh, I don't want to she laid down the law. She did. And I yeah. was like, ah, oh, whatever, you know. And in my mind, I'm like, you know, I go to church every now and then, whatever. But I ain't feel like <laughs> going to church, you know, three times a week. And, and you know what I'm saying? And right. So, uh, but at the time, it was exactly what I needed. Wow. Um, it's well, you like know- God. You know what just came to my mind is what's interesting is you said that you specifically had an issue with male authority. So if this would have been an uncle of yours or, you know, some, some dude that witnessed to you on the streets, that would have gone a totally different direction. And, and, and so and so when I say God is involved with people, he is absolutely involved. I was a knucklehead. Mm. I I had nothing I have no, I had no redeeming qualities in my life, no job skills, nothing. The only thing I could do was, you know, roll blunts and, and lie, you know, <laughs> I mean, those are not qualifications you put on a resume, you know what I'm saying? I had nothing. And, and so when I, when I got into the church, I came to the church three weeks before I even answered an altar call. Right. I would smoke my cigarettes out front of the church and I had no intention of getting saved. So were, were you the guy that w- you were telling yourself, yeah, it's all good. Uh, I don't need this Jesus stuff. 
I was the guy that said, looked around. I said, man, these people are weird. <laughs> you know, they, 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 that's what's wrong. With, nobody's this happy. You know what I mean? Uh, I need to get away from these people. These people are crazy. So you your know? aunt, your aunt was a member of the church in Raleigh. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. So and, and, go ahead. My my other question is just um, what what I mean your your first impressions of the church. You said that these people are crazy, but but what was going on in the church at that time? Was it was it like was it in revival, or was it small church? I would say I would say yeah. Uh-huh. Um, the church was growing. Uh, uh, there was ministry. There was uh, auxiliary ministry, song service, uh, full platform ministry. Uh, there was families, there were teenagers, the church was probably about 40 people at the time when I came, you oh, know, wow. okay. I was the only, I was the only 20 year old something there. Um, it was either married people or teenagers okay. and, um, you know, uh, or younger kids than teenagers, but I was the only, uh, single, uh, kind of single man okay. in the church, you know what I mean? And it was obvious the issues I had in life. I mean, you could, and uh, it took me years before I realized when I look back, man, I was probably the only person in the church at the time when I came that wasn't even saved. Mm. You know, uh, I mean, I wonder, I think back, I wonder if they were like, how long is this, how long is this boy going to come before, before he answers an altar call? Yeah. You know, like I mean? everybody else had it figured out before you did. I did. You know what I mean? And <laughs> It was amazing to me how God put me around people who love the unlovable. He put me around people that would love me through my issues, love me despite my issues, um, love me even though I had nothing to offer them in return. And uh, I've had several pastors, but my first pastor was perfect for that place and time in my life. Marvin Burley uh, was my first pastor and that's mm. who I got saved under. Okay. And he just loved me. No, uh, no, it, it was obvious. I, he couldn't, you couldn't push me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You weren't going to be able to pin me down. You weren't going to be able to, uh, you weren't going to be able to do any of those things. And so he just loved me and let me come. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, when I got saved, Adam, I had four earrings in my left ear, two earrings in my right ear, uh, you know, thought I was God's gift to young women, even though I had nothing to offer them outside of a mouthful of lies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and he, he allowed God to, begin to make himself real to me first. And I'll, I'll never forget that experience, uh, that it wasn't do's and don'ts. It was just uh, come and let God help you, John. I remember telling Pastor Burley a few weeks after I got saved, man, I think I got this Christianity thing figured out. You know? <laughs> and, you know, I'm living at home with my aunt. Right. I'm 20 years old. I don't have a job. I'm sleeping till noon, eating her food, right? <laughs> you know, not bringing any, not offering anything. And I'm like, yeah, man, you know, and what I meant by that is, Hey, I'm not drinking. I'm not oh, smoking. Yeah. Uh, I'm not doing some of those things, uh, 
for the most part, that had my life bound and God is beginning to unravel some things in my life. And so I began to change. And at the time, that was real to me. Mm -hmm. I remember my first time telling people, hey, um, I don't smoke weed anymore. Like most people testify about whatever. My first testimony was, hey, man, I'm not getting high anymore. Mm -hmm. That's good, John. I'm like, nah, you don't understand. This (laughs) is my life. This is, I wanted weed more than I wanted food. You know what I mean? I'd spend my last money, last dollar on a bag of weed than I would something to eat, Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, and, but they just loved me and just, you know, uh, allowed me to experience God on a very personal and real level. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my life began to change. And obviously by now I'm beginning to see some things, uh, decisions that I had made earlier in life and the ramifications of those. It's crazy because it's like, uh, <laughs> As much as God was helping me, he was also moving other people in the church at the time. Raleigh had a lot of single mothers, Hmm. you know what I mean? Like four or five of them, you know, raising kids. And like all of them had a story of a hurt or a wound from a man. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I embodied all of it. Right. You you, you know, everything that they were frustrated about maybe hated about or angry about or when they looked at my life they saw a picture of it and it's (laughs) like as much as god was helping me he was helping them Mm. you know what i mean heal praise you know i didn't know that till later on the the miracle of the the body of christ yeah they love me and so you know i'm rambling but maybe no you're not you're 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 uh you're telling us what was important to you as you look back on the story, which is what's important that uh, we begin to understand. And the reason that I love hearing those kinds of things is because that is still happening today. Yes. And, you know, when you've got a church, you know, I, I don't have a church full of single women with kids, but there are churches who no doubt do. And, uh, and so, you know, God is the one who puts people in his church for certain purposes. God put you there because you needed to get your life together, but God also put you there for that other secondary reason, which was to f- for other people in the church to find healing. I, I find that amazing. You know, because I lived with my aunt, again, that matriarchal uh, leadership over yeah. my life for a large portion of my life was still there. Yeah. And you, you know what I mean? And so there were men in the church a friend of mine, Billy Harris, he's gone home to be with the Lord. Uh, he was fundamental in my transformation. But in the first weeks and months, I was around my aunt and her friends. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Until yeah. I felt comfortable enough to like, eh, I trust these people and realizing that this man ain't going to just try to, you know, dictate my life and everything. You know, one of the funniest things Pastor Burley did is, you know, I like playing football. He knew I came from playing football. So he would start these tackle football games with some of the other men in the church. Mm -hmm. And it was the craziest thing in the world because here I am, 20 years old, 21 years old. And these 30-year-old men are out there giving their bodies on the altar (laughs) of follow-up. You know what I'm saying? 
And here I am, I'm young, and I'm I'm hitting them like they're like like we're going like yeah. we get paid. You're you the know star. What I'm <laughs> yeah, you know, uh-huh. and but it gave me this atmosphere to feel like, hey, I I'm good at this. And he gave me that. He loved me, man. And you know, when I think back to those that in the early years for my salvation. I'll never forget that because sometimes as the church, I feel like we think we have to micromanage God. Mm -hmm. God loved me more than any of those people. And they didn't always see what God was dealing with me about, you know, uh, helping me break free from the immoral relationships and, you know, wrestling through some of these decisions in life remember looking in the mirror and saying you know what i don't need these earrings and Mm. taking out these earrings out of my ears and you know here it is 20 some years later my daughters are like dad you wore earrings and i'm like that was a long time you know (laughs) And, and like yeah but and people here seeing me now they're like i can't even picture you i said you have no idea Mm -hmm. what i like when i got saved and but God loved me and he put me around people who loved me and God began to transform me at his at, at my pace. And I'll, I'll always forever be in Marvin Burley's debt for that. Mm. Um, Pastor Burley went back to Havelock and about six months after I got saved, uh, my whole world changed again. And Lewis Carmichael, you know Lewis. Oh yeah. Uh, um, uh, became my pastor. Yeah. And Lewis is a Marines Marine. You know, yeah. I still think he walks Slight, in Haiti. slightly different personality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, hilarious. And uh, all of a sudden now, this fun-loving atmosphere that I got saved in, uh, God shifted gears. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so uh, I put it, people, I tell people this, Lewis Carmichael was my pastor for 10 years. He took me from 21 to 31. Mm -hmm. He married me. Mm -hmm. He was, he dedicated my first child. And, and so sounds like as much, as much as Marvin Burley loved me into the kingdom, Lewis Carmichael became one of my first real father figures. I ever had him. Well, he was the first person. It's another form of love, isn't it? He, he was the first person to love me by putting his finger in my chest and telling me no. Mm. And not being afraid of me getting angry, mm-hmm. not being afraid of me pouting, right. you know, not being afraid of me, you know, taking my ball and going home and ignoring him uh, for a period of time. And I'm curious he, if, you, if you remember maybe the first or, or one of the most significant times that he did that. Yeah, um, me and my wife were dating Naima. We mm-hmm. Naima was one of my, was a young lady that I talked to in college. Okay, and and so she she when I moved down to North Carolina, she graduated the following year. Oh, she had and her act so, together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so she has a degree, um, and me coming to him and telling him that you know she's wanting to come down and pastor, I think I want to marry her. And uh, watching him change, I remember him having Naeem and I come over 
to his house and not being afraid to sit down and say, hey, you guys don't need to be alone together. Mm-hmm. You're attracted to each other, John. You know, you, you don't need to be alone together. You know, and if you're going to court, you're going to date, you need to set a marriage date soon. Mm-hmm. And you need to get married and you need to be a separated for a period of time. And so I remember she moved into the house with a young lady in the church and I moved into a house with one of the brothers in the church and him not being afraid to say, hey, man, you need to put some boundaries around this. And I was I was offended when I mm-hmm. first heard that, you know okay. what I mean? Like, yep. for you, you know, what I mean, right. I didn't say that. To right. Him. But he loved me enough to say, hey, John. And I remember him telling me, he said, John, if you can't be faithful to God in the beginning, you're going to start your marriage on the wrong foot. He said, there's something about you setting aside a season in life where you resist the temptations of your carnal nature. You understand what I'm saying? And build a testimony with each other Mm -hmm. of faithfulness. Uh, he says you have, and he's so right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, that 20 some years later, I'm like, you know, he was pretty smart, man, you know? Yeah. Uh, but you know, that was probably the first time, the first time he really ever made me mad Yeah, is he picked me up it's before Naima had ever moved down. It was very young, early in his ministry. And I didn't like white people, Adam. Okay. Well, I was trying to work, work in a question around those. Yeah. Uh, and, and so those I didn't, I didn't, and some people don't even know Pastor Lewis Carmichael was white. Pastor Burley was black. Yeah. And yeah. so well, I guess uh, we should tell our listeners that, that yeah. you, you're African-American so, also. And so um, <laughs> as an African-American, when I got saved, you know, it was just natural because well, Pastor Burley was black and yeah. the church was predominantly black. There was a right. few spink- sprinkles of white people here or there, but you know, was there you know, some tension would, there? Yeah. No, and, and so when he left and pastor Carmichael came, I didn't realize how many issues I had to work through, mm. you know, it was, you know, and I remember him picking me up and, you know, maybe going to do something. And he said, John, are you always this quiet? And I was like, no, I'm just this quiet with you. Oh, and I was very honest, you know, and, but it, it didn't scare him away. Right. And uh, even though he was uh, a white man and I was a young black man, he was able to love me despite those natural tensions. Sure. You know, um, what was uh, it that was holding you in the church? Because a lot of people in that same situation might have run away. I got saved. Yeah, you were saved. I mean, when I got saved, my life changed. I mean, like, I'm not talking about just casual. I mean, I when I tell people about me and drugs, I was like, you know, it's not that I can't smoke. I don't want to smoke. That is a miracle. If you'd like to hear the rest of this sermon, subscribe today. It's only $3 a month when you subscribe at supercast.tech or $4.99 per month when subscribing in Apple Podcasts. Links are in the show notes. We thank you for joining us on this special preview of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. Thank 
you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.